We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Friend, Jesus isn't calling you to the church. As important as the church is, he's not calling you to the church. Jesus is not calling you to occupy some position of greatness so you can look important or feel good. Friend, Jesus isn't calling you to a thing or to a service. Jesus is calling you to him. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart is entitled, When Little is Big. That's When Little is Big, and we will bring you the first portion of that broadcast here today. Remember that if you miss any portion of this message, you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. When Little is Big, here's Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Let's pray. Dear Father God, I'm grateful today that there is life in Jesus, that life is not transient, it's permanent. It's constant. It's our life if we have Him. Lord, we could be many things around here, but if we're not people of the Bible, we have no reason to be here. Help us to grow in the Word of God, to be bold in our generation, to share it, to not be satisfied that our neighbors know nothing of it, but to be missionaries in our neighborhood, in this church where we work for the salvation of men and women. And may there be no people in this place who lord over others. Lord, we're all sinners in need of grace. None of us are good people here. So we want Jesus here. And we want as many lost people who can be found to come here. So help us as we interact with the Bible in this way today. In Jesus' name, amen. George Washington has been considered the father of our country in the United States of America. And he is famous for many virtues, including courage. How many of you like honest George? What do they call him, actually? It's not it. It's Honest Abe. What is it? You know, the cherry tree thing has got me all messed up, okay? Well, George Washington is the father of our country in the United States of America. He is famous for many virtues, but his greatest virtue that made all his other virtues possible is the Christian virtue of humility. On one occasion, George Washington observed some of his men trying to move a log with a corporal who stood by and did nothing to help them. He just watched them move it. I mean, General Washington was moved by that kind of thing. And he listened to the corporal as he gave the excuse. He said, why aren't you helping this man? The corporal said, well, I'm the corporal. I give orders. I don't do the work. I give orders. General Washington then dismounted his horse, went up to the men who were trying to move the log. He rolled up his sleeves. He helped them move the log as that corporal just looked on. And when he finally mounted his horse, he told the corporal, the next time your men need help, send the commander-in-chief. That is humility. On another occasion, General Washington was on horseback near Washington City where the horses had to leap over a stone wall and pass on. And when the horses jumped the wall, one of the horses hit a stone part of the wall and it caused part of the wall to collapse. Instantly, General Washington said, we better replace these stones. Some of his friends said, oh no, let the farmer do it. 
we got to get on with important business, General Washington. But General Washington was not satisfied just letting the farmer do it since his men had knocked down the fence. So he took a rider and they repaired that fence. On his way back, his riding partner was troubled by it all. He couldn't believe that General Washington had done that. He said, General Washington, you're too big for that. Why did you do that? You're too big to do those little kind of things. And here's what General Washington said. He said, on the contrary, I'm the right size. General Washington demonstrated that truly great men are great because they know how to become little instead of big. They don't view themselves as important. They see themselves as small, and thus they are servant leaders in the plan of God. When little is big, friend, greatness is not far to be found. We live in a world where people want to be big and not little. We see people aspiring for offices in the church at times because they want a position to look good. They want to feel like they're in a status of power so they can exert authority over others, and they want to look righteous doing it. Friends, that is not God's program for the church. God wants servant leaders where people want to be great without the accolades. They want to be great in the humility they bring to bear. St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, in the 4th century, had some very important things to say about the much-needed Christian virtue of humility. He wrote this. He said, Humility is the foundation of all other virtues. Hence, in the soul in which this virtue does not exist, there cannot be any other virtue except mere appearance. In other words, if you don't have humility, you don't have anything. He said this as well. Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plant a tower that will pierce the clouds. Lay first the foundation of humility. I'd like to read from my favorite Bible writer, theologian, devotional writer in The Desire of Ages, page 437. This is inspiring, literally. Before honor is humility, to fill a high place before men, heaven chooses the worker who, like John the Baptist, takes a lowly place before God. The most childlike disciple is the most efficient in the labor for God. The heavenly intelligences can cooperate with him who is seeking not to exalt self, and I like this, but to save souls. Friend, God put us in the church. God put us here in community, not so we can feel good about our accomplishments, not so that we can somehow glory in what we do, but so that we can be used in selfless service to save men and women for all eternity. That's why the church exists. No other reason. And we find community out of that mission-driven call to take the gospel to our local world and to the world. The greatest leader this world has ever known, the greatest leader was Jesus Christ. Can I hear a few amens on that? There has been no greater leader than Jesus. And when Jesus Christ, by virtue of his moral accomplishments, said it is finished on the cross of Calvary, heaven had bankrupted its treasury to give us God's grace in Jesus. God had demonstrated that love can be poured out of an infinite love, of an infinite heart, so that an infinite heart can break and be bankrupted. And when it was over, dear heart, God had demonstrated that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is our leader. And yet Jesus made it very clear that he did not come into this world to be big and lord it over us all. At the cross, we see the smallness of God and the greatness of his character. After the Mount of Transfiguration, Luke said in Luke 9, 51, that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus set his face to die for the sins of the world, our sins, I mean my sins. Let's make it real personal. The stuff in my head that bothers me in the course of my life, 
The stuff where I have let others and God down was going through his mind and heart from Gethsemane to the cross, and he dealt with it so I will never have to deal with it in the judgment day. Now, friends, you can find all kinds of intellectual reasons to explain away God. But you look inside your heart. You see the stuff that you are troubled with. Jesus is the answer for that. Jesus is the atonement for that. Jesus is the get it right with God experience that takes away the burden of the judgment day. And that's why the gospel is good news in Jesus. Jesus set his face to die for the sins of the world at Jerusalem. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was glorified. His clothes began to shine like the splendor and the glory of God, like the primordial lightning. His selfless ministry seemed over at last as heaven was opened up and the lightning of his appearance resembled the man in linen in Daniel 10. He was in glorification mode as he was getting ready to be beamed up to heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. But then Moses and Elijah appeared. They stood on the holy mountain next to him, one on the right, one on the left. And they were there to tell him with broken heart that if he went to heaven, they had to stay. And not only stay, they had to die. Because the wages of sin is death, and God cannot alter his law to save one human being. So they spoke of his exodus, it says in Luke, of his departure that he was to accomplish at Jerusalem because Jesus had not yet gone to the cross to die for us all. And so Jesus stepped down from the holy mountain to go to Jerusalem and die. He was ready to be glorified, and he cut off the lights. He extinguished the lightning. He stepped down to go to the cross before he went up. So the glory faded that night, and as Jesus stepped down, he set his face to make the hard journey to Jerusalem, to die for Moses, to die for Elijah, to die for you and me and everyone else too, the sins of the world. The universe saw their commander-in-chief step down from the holy mountain, humble himself, and set his face for Jerusalem. I'm glad he did that, are you? Boy, I'm glad he did that. He did that for me. He looked at eternity and he said, I will not spend it without Mike. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 20, verse 17. As Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to be mocked and scourged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, this was not what they were expecting. This was not in the program of what they wanted to hear. They were expecting Jesus to whip the Romans, to take them out. They were expecting Jesus to use some of that divine power and show them that he is the Messiah. And before it would happen... There was a jockeying for positions. Who would be the greatest in this kingdom that he was going to set up in Jerusalem? So James and John's mother in the story wanted to make sure that her sons were at the top of the pecking order in this new kingdom where being big is better, where being big is great, when being appointed means something. So they wanted the first positions. The Jewish people had been conquered by Alexander the Great. That was the context. We know of the struggle of the Hellenistic world. The Romans showed up after that. And James and John's mother was probably pondering the name Alexander the Great, Antiochus III the Great, James the Great, John the Great. And I'm the mother of James and John, Magna Mater, the Great Mother. Livia Drusilla Tiberius' mother thought that way. They thought that way. I think moms can still think that way. How many mothers would like to be great through their children? Let's face it. It's in the DNA, isn't it? Am I right? It is. 
So we can't be too hard on the mother of James and John. She wanted her boys to have a good position in the kingdom. She was a helicopter mom with a grand vision for her boys before the invention of the term. And she would not be deterred that day from getting what she wanted for James and John and mom. Verse 20, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. Asked Jesus, How could you refuse a mother on her knees? Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm a godly mother in Zion. I have a little request for you. You know all things. Make my two boys the top two in your kingdom for me. Now, Jesus knows all things. He knew that day what was going through her head, what was best for them and not. Verse 21, he said to her, what do you want? She said, command that these two sons of mine shall sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. She didn't say, grant it to me. She didn't say, what do you think, Lord? Is it a good idea? She said, Lord, command it. So she's telling the Lord what to do. She's making the Lord do something. She's really commanding. In reality, she's telling Jesus what to do. Now, that's not a good thing in our lives. When we come to Jesus, we should not be telling Jesus what to do. We should be coming to Jesus and letting him tell us what to do. How many times in our good intention prayer lives have we told Jesus what to do in our prayers? Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed a prayer and would you inform the Lord what he needed to do to solve your situation? Maybe the Lord has impressed upon you the need to be baptized. And you're telling the Lord what he can and can't do so you can be baptized. Rather than listening to what the Lord says you should do. Maybe you're trying to buy a home and you want a home that's very expensive. And you're not satisfied with the one you have or one that's less expensive. And the Lord says, I want you to have a more humble life. I don't want you to be spending money where you don't need to. And yet it's hard to hear his voice. Because we tell the Lord what he needs to do. We should pray for what He wants and submit ourselves to Him. Verse 22, But Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to Him, We are able. I mean, they didn't lose a heartbeat. They just said, We can do it. We have a Christian song that's called, He's able, He's able. You know, how's it go? I know He's able, right? No, my Lord is able to carry me through. How many of you believe that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with saying he's able, but they didn't say that. They said, we are able. Have you ever said that to God? I am able. I will do it. Jesus got it right. and They got it wrong that day. He said, you don't know what you're asking. You think you know, but you're not God. And you ask in such a way that you're informing God what he needs to do for you. It doesn't work that way in my kingdom. There are times in our lives when we script our own advancements and we lay it out to God as we expect God to deliver and to do what we want Him to do for us. So much of fake religion. I'm telling you, fake religion is in every church. It rotates around what we can get from God instead of what we can do for God when we submit our wills to Him in disinterested service. God doesn't need our greatness. He doesn't need our theologies. He doesn't need our philosophies, our ideas, or our intuitions. God needs our heart, our submission. God desires our humility and our openness. No one chooses the course of life in following Jesus Christ. They follow Him and He leads us through life. Friend, Jesus is Lord and only God chooses who will be the greatest in the kingdom beside His Son. I've been in churches where people wanted a high position to be an elder so they could feel important. Friend, that doesn't matter. What matters is doing the work of an elder, whether you're called or not. If you're called to be an elder, you'll be doing the work of the elder, and spirit-filled people will recognize that in you. 
I hate nominating committees. Did you hear me? I hate them. I don't like some of the scrutiny that has to go in that process, but it's necessary. But you know what I really feel good about when the process is done right? Is when a person of humility is placed in a position when they were not seeking that position. When the Holy Spirit recognizes it and you can feel it. And then they question whether or not they're worthy to serve, but then they decide, I will serve. That's a good feeling in a nominating process. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. God doesn't need our greatness. He needs us. But we bargain with God to get what we want out of God. When my dad died, I remember it just as clear. Just before he died, he'd been hit with a stroke. I was 15 years of age. I knew him for two months. And I went out one night, and I looked up at the stars, and I said, God, I'm going to bargain with you. You're a businessman, God. I'm bargaining with you. You saved my dad's life. Because I've only known him two months. I want to know him for a number of years to come. You saved my dad's life, and I'll be a minister. You saved my dad's life. And I'll start focusing in the Bible. I will study the Bible with all my energy. You save my dad's life and don't take him from me. And I'll stand for you in my generation. My dad died a week later. Can't bargain with God. God knew that if my dad had stayed alive in his life journey the way it was, he might have lost his way. My dad died in Christ So I had to think that through. And you know what? If my dad had stayed alive with the journey he had had, I might have lost my way. So God laid my dad to sleep. I couldn't understand that until 10 years later when I became the minister I promised God to be after I'd studied the Bible to understand his will more directly. I couldn't bargain with God, but I could surrender to God. And friends, God wants us to surrender. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. The mother of James and John got James and John into a whole heap of trouble with the other ten disciples. I mean, what were these two guys trying to do? They were trying to wiggle their way into the best spots in the kingdom that Jesus was going to set up at Jerusalem. Jesus was the nominating committee for future church office. And Jesus would have none of this manipulation game in the process. Why? Because little is big in Jesus' eyes, and being great is being small. And they didn't get it. They were aspiring to a great position. When they needed to submit to a humble life of service as God directs, James did not know at that time that he would be the first Christian martyr. His life would be shortened. He had no clue. 
And John didn't know that he would outlive them all and that he would live to see all the other disciples die a martyr's death and that he would experience unbelievable difficulty. He'd be boiled in oil by the emperor Domitian. His body would be scarred beyond belief. His hair matted because of the scars. He'd be in isolation on a lonely island of Patmos. And then he would get off that island, but he would die as an old man in Ephesus, working in a land far from home with people who were slaves and Gentiles, really banished from the land of his upbringing. He had no idea how hard it would be to follow Jesus. You read the book of Revelation. He says, I share with you in the tribulation that is the kingdom in Greek. He says, God's kingdom is trouble in the life, but Jesus is worth it. Jesus knew all of this. But Jesus also knows your life too. He knows exactly where you need to be a year from now. He knows what you need for your character development. He knows what will grow you and what will not grow you. And he's not going to feed your desires if it works against your interests. And so we must follow Jesus and give up on this idea of telling the Lord what to do with our life. You can trust Jesus to get it right in the journey. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And then I like this last part, and to give his life as a ransom for many. In these few verses, Jesus outlines the path to true greatness. In verse 25, the text says, Jesus called them to him. You know, we should not ignore that introductory phrase here. Jesus called them to him. We don't get our lives in order by telling Jesus what to do. We get our lives in order by coming to Jesus when he makes the call. We don't have a clue. Jesus knows what to do, though. Jesus called them to him when the confusion started. Friend, your life really begins when you hear that call, when you slow down long enough to hear it, and when you really respond to it, you come to Jesus, and that's where the good things of God start clicking in your life. Friend, Jesus isn't calling you to the church. As important as the church is, he's not calling you to the church. Jesus is not calling you to occupy some position of greatness so you can look important or feel good. Friend, Jesus isn't calling you to a thing or to a service. Jesus is calling you to him. There's where true greatness begins. And a relationship with Jesus is where it all gets going. John 17, 3. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So God calls people to Jesus. You know, Matthew 11, the great invitation, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are heavy and weary and laden, and I will give you rest. It is a call to know him as friend, as Savior. So Jesus calls us to know him before he calls us to serve him. Did you hear that? Jesus calls us to know him before he calls us to serve him. So there's so much here in that one statement, Jesus called them to him. Romans 8, 28, Paul says, We know that in everything God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Now notice, he justifies a person after he calls them, but he sees it before. And those whom he justified, he glorified. goes on, what then shall we say to this? If God is, what does it say in your Bible? If God is what? For us, who is against us? 
So we need to get out of this business of managing our life journey. We can't do that. Christ is our shepherd. Your life with God starts and it has direction and meaning when you answer the call to come to Him. Jesus calls every one of us to Him every day. But when that decisive call is given with full surrender, friends, you are in line. You're working. God is in your life. So we can't serve the church, but we can come to Him. And then service becomes the natural outworking of knowing Jesus. Many people today don't serve in the church because they don't know Jesus. Do you hear me? They just don't serve in the church because they don't know Jesus. They don't want to make a difference because they don't value what Christ has done for them. Friend, when our love deepens, when we realize the cost of our salvation, we will be doing everything we can for the body of Christ. We will not hold back anything that is in us. We will yearn for the coming kingdom of God and we will want it so bad that our life energy will be there. And that will be when the Holy Spirit is poured out into us in full measure. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. Well, we're going to need to leave it there for the first portion of When Little is Big. We will conclude this broadcast the next time we get together. In the meantime, if you'd like to listen to the entire message without interruption, it's available at reachingyourheart.com. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673. 855-888-4673. Or reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.